Yo, 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 what's going on, man? We live on location, like Quinn Richards to say on the Knuckleheads podcast. Welcome in to War Media, Open Run. My name is Gabriel Wilkins. I'm joined once again, week three, episode three, with my guy, Josh Hicks, man. How you doing? My guy, three, three episodes down. Got some more to go. It's, always a, it's always a good time to have, be on the mic with you. Yeah, appreciate that, man. Uh, in this episode, it's going to be a damn pack episode. We got a lot to talk about. Talking about two franchises on opposite ends of the country that have gotten off to extremely rough starts and a panicking right now, if not close to it, in addition to a pair of other squads out in the Eastern Conference and the Central Division that have been making some big-time noise. But before we do all of that, let's jump into recent events that unfolded this past weekend at Town and the Association starting with the Bulls, who duking it out with Philly in the national televised showdown here in the GOAT. I know you was on hand for that, Josh, covering that event on behalf of the Bigs. Bulls went on a major run, coming back from 19 points down in the opening half of play, took a five-point lead in the third quarter against the Philadelphia 76ers at the Madhouse on Madison. However, it would not be enough as these two squads went back and forth in a heavy and engaged in fifth. But at the end... Sixers threw the knockout punch. Joel and B hit a big-time three-point shot with the game on the line in the final frame of play to silence Bulls faithful and help Philly take home a 114-109 to win and beat Chicago for a 12th straight time as the runner-up for last year's MVP award and Embiid finished with 25 points on 9 of 15 shooting from the field. DeMar DeRozan, who reached the 20,000, point mark last week against the Spurs in San Antonio, his former mates, shout out to him on that, led the Bulls with 24 points, while Nikola Vucevic, scoring 23 points, hauled down 19 boards, hitting five triples and arguably his best performance of the young season thus far in a valiant effort. Josh, man, I know you was on hand at the game, saw you talking with Goran Dragic, you know, he's talking about the play of Patrick Williams defensively helping them get back in that ball game as well as trying to, you know, establish a strong level of chemistry with him in spite of playing the majority of his minutes with Derrick Jones Jr. and Andre Drummond, who was actually out of that game against Philly, as well as Ayo Dosumo due to injuries. But what are, what are the main takeaways that you took from this out, man? And what sound bites did you get when you was on scene, you know, that, that caught your ear a little bit um, from the Bulls' side? Um, Pretty much... Two, for at least for me, two uh, two points. The first point is the fact that the, Andre Drummond was missed dearly in that game, man. Andre Drummond, um, what he brings to the table, not just offensively with his rebounding, and but but and setting screens effectively, um, but defensively being able to hold his own in the paint again and, and being able to move uh, laterally from a quickness perspective with someone like a Joel Embiid who is so good offensively. Um, to be able to miss that type of presence. Um, would have helped the Bulls in a lot of ways to not have such a huge deficit at, at, at the point in time that they did, or even even get a chance to even get him over the hump. Um, Goran Dragic definitely talked about how Drummond's you know at, uh, presence was definitely missed, and he was more speaking more specifically from a pick and roll perspective, knowing that since he set good screens, it would have made his job a lot easier to facilitate an offense and create shots for other people. Um, but the reality of the Bulls is outside of that, yes, mm -hmm. there's a lot of positives about from Patrick Williams' game's perspective. He was much more aggressive on both ends of the floor. 
Um, the, they, 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 they did a terrific job in actually guarding and maintaining James Harden. Yes, he had 20 points, but he shot one of 10 from the field. So he, you, 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 you pretty much made his life difficult on the court offensively when it comes to scoring the ball. And Patrick Williams was one of those main guys that guarded him all night amongst the rest of the team. So that was a positive sign. But the problem the Bulls always have is these, is these slow starts, man. They always yeah. start off slow, and they find themselves in huge deficits. The second unit comes in, saves their butt, and they continue to and, and they bring such energy and presence and bring and create a rhythm and flow for the off for the for the, for the first unit to come back in and eventually maintain for most for throughout most of the game to give at least themselves a chance. Right? That's a problem. You can't keep getting yourself in deficits every game, especially to start off the game. Billy Donovan addressed that uh, that issue. Um, when, when asked in the press conference uh, at the game, and he pretty much said he, he, he doesn't know what, why that is, but he has to evaluate that starting five. And he said he's going to look at evaluating that starting five to see if any changes need to be made because when you have DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic as your big three in your starting lineup, there's no reason, especially if you have – I know obviously Aya will be starting, but, right. you know, that's, but, you know, even with that – you still had three of the top players in the whole entire league. There's no reason for you guys to be having these slow starts. There's no reason why we should be going back, being down so much, not in double figures, but almost getting dubbed in within the first six minutes of the game. That should not have, that should not be that way. And that's the unfortunate reality the Bulls are dealing with right now. And that needs to be addressed. But those are the two things that stood out to me the most and how the Bulls are looking towards improving on those things and making the necessary adjustments for as they, you know, they got a, a tough schedule this week from a game's perspective. You know, with Brooklyn come going to going to Brooklyn, which is not an easy task, and you also got to deal with Boston later on that week on that Friday. So they they got they gonna have to really uh, pick up the pick up the pace, especially and start these games are strong. Otherwise, it's gonna be long nights, uh, continuous long nights that the Bulls just don't need to put themselves into. I'm glad you brought up the the slow starts point because that's something that stuck out to me a great deal through the first seven games of the year for the Bulls, man. Um, they, they gotta they gotta rectify that. They definitely have to rectify that. I do believe as you as you brought up that Andre Drummond was sorely missed. Saw, you know, a lot of the highlights as I was toggling back and forth between Bulls and Sixers and Hawks and Bucks, which was a game that I told a lot of people to watch out for last week on our show. But when I was toggling back and forth and watching the Bulls game, I noticed like, there were far too many times where Embiid just had his way. And he looked like, like, he 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 looked like he was shooting over, like, small baby chairs, if you will. Like, I saw Alice Caruso get caught up on the switch against him. You know, I think it was Harris or Maxie took a three-point shot, missed it. Man, it was like four bodies on him, but everybody's super small. You know, it, it, like, they... They, they didn't have no answer for that. I think that the Bulls right now are missing a true floor general who can get them within their sets. Lonzo Ball is just as much as, you know, important as Andre Drummond, even though he has yet to play a game and we know that he's rehabbing, still nursing that injury, his knee injury. But, man, like, they, they miss him big time because they don't even have pace. And every time I watch the Bulls, man, especially in a half court, DeMar DeRozan, man, just has to save him, like, each and every single night, man. It's like, they, they got to help him. 
They got to help him. And, it, and it's a bad look, though. I, I'll say this. It, it's a bad look anytime your big three each scores 20-plus points, but no one else steps up to the occasion. Patrick Williams did play well defensively. He had a couple of moments, hit a, a three-point shot, made a basket inside the rim and whatnot in the third quarter. But, like, Philly outscored them. Their bench department outscored the Bulls by, like, 15 points. That was the story of the game to me. But what was the morale in the locker room like on the Bulls side, man? Like, you know, they, those guys still got their heads up because, they, like you said, they got a rough four-game stretch starting off with Brooklyn this upcoming Tuesday night, as well as the Hornets and the Celtics on the road, as well as the Raptors. Matter of fact, three out of their next four games on the road. Yeah, I mean, the locker room is everybody's positive. Um, everybody's um, you know, morale is high. Um, they understood that uh they understood that this that game specifically that game when you're playing against James Harden and Joel Embiid, two top tier superstars in the game, and knowing what they bring to the table, it's gonna be a tough assignment to fulfill. And, you know, they they gave it their all with what they had at that moment. They understand that. Um, and they know that, you know, changes have to be made. Um, you know, from a from a play perspective and energy perspective to start off these games. So that way they don't get in these deficits. They understand that. Um, the biggest thing, though, for me, that highlights and covers up a lot of those things is the fact that the team, they understand the bench role players, they understand the importance of maintaining that high energy coming off the bench because they know sometimes that offensive burst is not going to be there to start the games. And Goran Dragic told me, you know, that it's very important that they have to maintain those things because once you maintain that, nine times out of ten for the most part, once the Bulls get going, they're, they're tough to beat. But it's a matter of actually maintaining that consistency for a full 48 minutes of a game, not 40. And, yep. and, 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 and that's where the Bulls are struggling with. And the bench comes in to, after those first eight minutes to help bring up that intensity in the way that they do. So they understand that it's just a matter of figuring out the kinks uh, to make sure that they can fulfill playing a full consistent uh, game of 48 minutes of basketball. And it's not just energy-wise, but execution-wise as well. And another thing that needs to improve as well with the Bulls is locating shooters on the defensive end, man. I've seen way too many open looks given up due to defensive breakdowns or communication on the floor. Guys got to do a much better job of talking to one another. You know, Tobias Harris was getting off the mm -hmm. other night. Yeah. You know, and Tyrese Maxey coming in fresh off of a 40-plus point performance against Toronto, he had his moments as well. You know, they they, they got to improve that. Like, even in the, in the final play of the game, you you uh, the big time playing the clutch minutes, you saw Joel Embiid, who typically rolls to the rim with James Harden, and that pick-and-roll combination was unguardable for the Bulls. They had no answers for that. But he popped out. Yep. You got to know your personnel. Like, Joel Embiid not no one-trick pony. Yeah, he could get it in the, on the block, but he know how to step back and, and, and let it fly as well. And he did that in a big-time outing. You know, and even throw, you know, the Bulls fans even more on the IG saying, you know, he Aaron Rodgers. Discount for check. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, he, he said he owned the Bulls right now, man. He said he got real estate on maps. I, I, I can't blame him anytime you won 12 straight, you know, in, in, that, in a row, not in that building, you know, consecutively, but in a row, 
And every time, man, it's, it seems like if he comes to Chicago, he puts his best performance on in front of the fans. Well, I, I, well let's, let's put it this way. I do, I do have to give a special shout out to Tobias Harris because you know last <laughs> week I drove the heck out of the Trevor Noah. Yeah, we talked about the six. I definitely drilled the heck out of that, out of the Trevor Noah lookalike. And <laughs> I must admit, he showed up in that game. He showed up in that game. He made the shots that he needed to make. He, he was a very uh, a very good offensive force that in a lot of ways killed the Bulls. And I must give him his props for showing up the way that he did. Showing me that he may not have earned the full max, but he's earned at least 75% of it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take the other 25, 25% in taxes. But outside of that, hey, you did your thing, uh, Tobias. I definitely got to give you your props for that. Well, I know Philadelphia taking a lot out of taxes because that's not a friendly place to be living when you're taking a bunch of money out of the East Coast. <laughs> but let's segue over from the Bulls and move on to discuss a couple of franchises who each find themselves in a state of limbo after entering the year with a ton of eyes on them following disappointing campaigns from a year ago. The Brooklyn Nets entered this week as losers of their last four straight games after dropping yet another contest on their home floor at the Barclays Center. Once again, in stunning fashion, Brooklyn's latest loss came at the hands of a young Indiana Pacers squad led behind the stellar play of Tyrese Halliburton, as well as 20-year-old rookie wing Benedict Mathurin. As the new backcourt duo for Indies combined and scored 58 points on Saturday night, all the while shooting 15 for 32 from the floor in their victory against Brooklyn. I don't even believe Matherin missed a single three-pointer shot attempt uh, on Saturday night, to tell you the truth. Nets have dropped five out of their first six games open up the year and have allowed over 120 points per game over the course of their four-game losing streak and ranked near the bottom in defensive rating to start the year, having given up over 120 points per 100 possessions. Meanwhile, the L.A. Lakers are also off to a slow start out in the West, currently off to their second-worst start in franchise history this year, despite boasting the likes of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook, despite ranking among the top in the league in defensive rating. Unlike the Nets through the first six games, Lakers entered the top of this week as the only team that had yet to win a game until they captured their first win on the 2022-2023 season by 11 points, knocking off Denver to cap off their weekend at home. Something that could largely be due to their offensive troubles, as we know that this team is ranked dead last in three-pointers made and three-point field goal percentage. Josh, man, let's let's get straight to it, man. Cut to the chase. A year ago this time, many people thought that the Lakers and the Nets were a surefire matchup waiting to happen in the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. Lakers couldn't even finish in the top 10 of the Western Conference standings to even have a fighting chance in a playoff spot in the playing round. Didn't even get there. Nets, on the other hand, had a bunch of injuries pile up. James Harden wanted out, gets sent to Philadelphia in exchange for Ben Simmons, who wasn't able to play nursing back injury after holding out, you know, Philly. Long story short, they were a playing team. They make it to the playoffs, get swept 
by the Boston Celtics in a year where there were major, major championship aspirations. Which team do you believe turns it around first? In my opinion, I, I started off, I, I think I'm going to give the upper hand to the Lakers. And I did think I would say this, but the reason why is because they're at least playing solid defensively. If they can find a way to make shots like they did on Sunday evening against Denver and find a way to play inside out, I think they'll be fine. The Nets, on the other hand, they leave a lot to be desired, especially on the defensive end of the floor. The effort's just not there. They're not even contesting three-point shots. It got to a point watching the game against Indiana the other night. I'm like, you got to start running guys on the three-point line. This is getting out of control. Man, uh, let's put it this way. Earlier when I thought about this question, I was thinking, you know what? The Nets have the better chance just because they have the established offense from a desired perspective that LeBron James wishes he had. They had shoot. They got the shooters. They got the shooters. You know, they do got other uh, perimeter all-star play, you know, and for the most part, talent-wise, when they finally put it all together, it really can work. But I must admit, Brooklyn is too much of a reality show right now. I don't know if they really that focused on the basketball side. Because a lot of people thinking that too. Because I've heard a lot of people. You're not the first person I've heard say that. Yeah, it's not it's, it's and and obviously I am a huge Kyrie fan. I am a huge, you know, Kevin Durant guy. I know it's gonna take for a nice little minute for Ben Simmons to stop, you know, to start eventually get himself back into the swing of things. But I got my question marks on Steve Nash. I don't think he's the coach for this team. And the way it's showing right now, even on the offensive end, there is no flow. There is no connectivity on the offensive end fully to where they can it's – it's, it's pretty much just a Kyrie KD show. And it's like that can only go so far. You're going to need to have your other shooters come step up and making plays. You're going to have to eventually have – put Ben Simmons in situations where he can exploit things to his strengths. And – over time, I mean, we know it's going to take time because Ben Simmons hasn't played in so long. But Steve Nash has had now three years to work on the coaching side of things and to know when to make adjustments and when when not to. And so far, I don't I don't see any type of improvement from any of those three years. I don't see any of it, and it's showing in the way they come out every night and play, not just offensively, but like you said, abysmally defensively. So because of that, and just the fact that the, that the Lakers in L.A., California, California loving, has Anthony, da- Anthony Davis, who I hope can stay healthy, but is dominant when he stays healthy. But you got the king there, too. King James knows what he's doing. He is that dude. He may not carry a team, but he'll make sure he'll put you in the right state to get you to that next level. So... I'm 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 leaning. I was leaning uh, with Brooklyn beginning of the show, but I must admit I had a change of heart. I had a switch. I had a switch. I'm not taking, so I can make that switch, baby. I can switch <laughs> it. It's not you, lady. It's me. I gotta go to the other side. I gotta go to the other one. I'm gonna choose the Los Angeles Lakers with you, brother. And I'm and I and I believe that last night that game against Denver is gonna be the blueprint of how the Lakers are gonna use Russell Westbrook moving forward 
to put them in the best position to win the game in the future. And I'm glad you brought up Westbrook, Josh, because, you know, he's seen his role change after starting in over a thousand plus games throughout the course of his career. And now he's coming off of the bench. And for the first time, he looked like he was really enjoying himself on the floor, attacking the paint, working as a cutter, scoring, as well as facilitating, taking three-point shots with confidence as well. But I, I, I'm going to give the Nets some slack, even though I do believe the Lakers find a way to turn it around first. The Nets have had a tough schedule. You know, they've lost to Dallas. They've lost to Milwaukee. They've lost to a, a young and up-and-coming Pelican squad that we talked about through the first couple of episodes on this show. Um, you know, and they also lost to Memphis, who who has Desmond Bain and, and John Moran. They've been one of the hottest backcourt tandems in the West to watch this far in a young season when active. But to me, the, the Nets do have some things that they can solve and are somewhat fixable. But I think it starts with Ben Simmons being more aggressive. I understand that they want to seek to get him more active off of the ball, so to speak. You see him setting screens a lot more than he's typically been. You see, you see him cutting more and, and, and seeking to do little things, even, you know, being a roller to the rim a little bit. But I think the issue with being on the floor is you can't have a big man that lacks the ability to shoot beside him. Mm. And I think with Nick Claxton, as nice as he is, you know, it, it could be a little bit problematic. He needs a big that can pop. And while, you know, Kevin Durant can shoot it with the best of Kyrie Irving can, at some point, he's going to have to be more aggressive and look for his. Like, I was looking at a stat prior to us doing this show and recording. Ben Simmons is only taking, like, five shots a game that has to change and at some point he's gonna have to seek to be more aggressive in attacking the paint which he has not done enough for this net squad who needs him to be a pace setter as well as a guy that can set screens occasionally and free up Durant and Irvin he is off the ball but he's not the same aggressive player that we once saw in Philadelphia and his on-ball defense is leaving a lot to be desired. And I do agree with Kyrie Irving in the sense that, like, we do have to lay off of him a little bit. I understand he's a max player. I understand we want to see max production. This is also a guy that hasn't played consistently in the last couple of years. And it's going to take him a while to find his footing in Brooklyn. But one question I, I, I want to ask you is, what do you believe needs to happen in order for both teams to turn it around before it is too late, should one believe that it's even possible for them? Because right now you got the Nets, you know, reportedly in the midst of having player-only meetings in the locker room following a lot of these rough, these rough losses, shall I say. Well, <clears throat> wishful, wishful thinking and wishful desire stakes, you know, you would wish that, you know, you would – Unfortunately, get Steve Nash up out of there, get a coach that actually fits them. Um, but unfortunately, since that's not going to be the reality, and we know that him and uh, Bobby Marks are pretty much a combination package, you know, they're, they're a two-for-one deal. So I'm going to go with the route of 
let's addition just from a player perspective, player roster perspective. Get some big men that can at least do things that can rebound and play defense. There's at least one person out there that can do that right now. That's Dwight Howard. He knows he, he, he's capable of doing that. And quite frankly, he feels disrespected when he went on Shay Shay, uh, Shay Shay's podcast the other day talking about why he well, he doesn't understand why he's not on the team because of the things that he can do. So just, I would use that as motivation to say, oh, you think you can do this? All right, let me give you a chance to prove it. Knowing that the Nets need big men depth. I, I would go with that and see if he could change that defense, especially in that second unit, when you don't have a, K, a KD and a Kyrie Irving on the court with you at the same time. I think that's an option that they should do to help improve their chances because they already have everything else that you could ever ask for. You got the shooting, you got the ball handling, you got the playmaking, and you got the and you got the uh the, you know the skills of, of Ben Simmons when it comes to you know point forward esque pushing the ball. Um, and, and like you said, eventually working better towards creating that pace. Nets are going to be fine as long as you just get that additional big man. They'll be in better shape by doing that. Now, going into uh, Laker Town, you know, the Lake Show is a beautiful thing when you got LeBron James and Anthony Davis over there. But I, I do think that there is one person that is eager to get the hell out of Indiana so much. He went yeah. on a podcast and said, hey, if I was the Lakers, I look into getting me. Oh, you put yourself out in the market. Okay. Well, Rob Palenka, get your head out your butt, make the calls to the Indiana Pacers, and get Buddy Heald and Miles Turner to the Lakers. No disrespect to Russell Westbrook. I love Russ. He is going to go down to, for me, as the best guard to not win a championship from an effective perspective since Allen Iverson. That, that's who I think he is going to become because he was see such a such a dynamic player. But with everything going on, I think LA fans have run its course on the patience of working with Russell Westbrook to see what the fit will be like. And you if you can get and you could trade Russell Westbrook to get two needs that you do actually need big men help that's vers- that brings versatility on both ends of the floor. And you're also bringing in shooting which is what LeBron James needs to win games, and you already have no shooters on your team, it's a no-brainer. Make the deal, you know? So I understand why they're holding off on it. They're trying to give Russ a chance. And to Darvin Ham's credit, Darvin Ham is a leader of men, and he's shown it with his relationship with not just only LeBron James and AD, but with Russell Westbrook, and even made Russell comfortable enough to want to be in this, to be willing to go into the second unit and play the way that he did. He's created that environment for him, which is ideal and necessary as a coach. But if you're trying to win championships right now, that three together with no shooting on your squad ain't going to cut it. They're just not going to cut it. And I think you want to improve those chances. You got to get, you got to go for Miles Turner and Buddy Hill to Indiana, or even look at going to Utah, getting, getting players like Michael Conley, Mike Conley, who's on, who's available. You know, think, look at other options to help fix up your roster and make it fit towards actually what LeBron needs, not just what he wants. Yeah, and I, I don't even think either franchise at this point can think about the championship at this time just for the simple fact that they're both one and six. You have to figure out a way to win games. For the next. I do agree with you. A big man is needed. 
even if he comes in and isn't able to start, it could help their second unit out in a lot of ways. You brought up Dwight Howard. Another name that's kind of been on my mind watching this team is DeMarcus Cousins. And they are struggling when it comes to rebounding, but I think they're also struggling with like just their like lack of focus. Like there was a play that stood out to me watching the game against the Pacers the other night where off of a three-point shot attempt miss, Ben Simmons is boxing out and is in position to get the rebound. But, like, he takes his eyes off the ball. And I think it was Isaiah Jackson, the big, the backup big man, got it for Indiana, and then went back up and dunked it on him. And it's like, what's going on? Like, where's the effort and the execution? And, and, and you know another thing that Brooklyn has to do? They got to get healthy. Like, Seth Curry is just coming back from his ankle surgery that he had this past summer. Joe Harris is just coming back. And then, you know, they also got a piece this summer that we have not seen play in live NBA action since December 29th, 2020. You know who that is? He could damn sure help this second unit if he shows any semblance of what he showcased in the bubble when the league was out in Orlando a couple years ago in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And that's TJ Warren. That's who they missing. And, you know, they, I, I think that they still have time to get things turned around but they got to do it quick. And I'm not so sure that Steve Nash is safe. I think that the more they lose or the more they fail to capitalize in games where they have leads and they continuously blow them, such as the game when they lost against Dallas last Thursday and the game on national television when they lost to the Bucks on Wednesday, you know, like his seat going to get hotter and hotter by the day, man. Like he's not safe. And even though the players like Durant and Kyrie are backing them, saying, hey, we got to be more accountable. We got to be more locked in and focused and engaged at both ends of the floor to win games. Hey, this is a business at the end of the day. And it comes down to what's in that left-hand column and that right-hand column. If you got more in the right-hand column than you do the left, you ain't doing it right. So, you know, that that's something that they're going to have to think about. As far as the Lakers, I think what needs to happen with the Lakers, it's a make or miss lead. You just got to hit shots. We saw what they did last night. When they hit shots, it opened up everything. And most importantly, limiting the turnovers. That was the thing that was breaking the Lakers back through the first seven games of the year. Too many turnovers. They did a great job of taking care of the basketball against Denver the other night. And hopefully that translates into more success. But I will say this. They are playing for Darvin Ham. That's something I do notice. Whereas the Nets, on the other hand, I don't know if they're really playing for Steve Nash. They seem to be playing for one another. But if they are, they're not doing a great enough job of that, which is evident because that's why they're hosting so many of these player-only meetings early on to start the season. But I do understand your point with Miles Turner, though, man. Like, he, he made it clearly obvious on the, the latest edition of the Wolves pod that he's tired of being in these trade rumors and that if I'm on the block, I have services that I can provide you with. <laughs> if that's not the ultimate PR move, man, I don't know what is, man. He's he just it seemed like it. For real. He's ready to go. He said, ship me now. Yeah. I, I, like I'm ready to go. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. He should be on a contender. He definitely should be on a contender in Indiana is in rebuilding mode. So give him give him his dues. Give him his wishes. You know, and, and not to mention, he's been a loyal professional to that franchise from the beginning as well. That's the least you can do 
is just pay him his respect and put him uh, and put him in a franchise where he can do good. And honestly, Russ in Indiana actually is a good could be a good fit for him. I do think it could be a good fit for him. Well, I mean, it would help the Pacers at least keep the interest of fans while they're in the middle of this rebuild. <laughs> I say that much, you know. Um, because it, it, even though Benedict Matherin has been a hell of a player, and he's looking like a guy that is not only in the rookie of the year discussion, but the six man of the year discussion, at some point, they're going to have to take Chris Duarte out the start lineup and put him next to Tyrese Halliburton on a full-time basis because – He's showing improving through the first several games of the year. But I want to move away from Tinseltown and the borough that is home to the bridge to talk about another pair of organizations that are off the stellar starts in the Eastern Conference this year after both squads earned some big-time wins within the last week against their fellow conference counterparts. After suffering a tough opening night loss at the hands of the Toronto Raptors, Cleveland Cavaliers have found a way not to miss a beat. They have won five out of their last six games to start the year, and most notably behind the stellar play of all-star guard Donovan Mitchell, who, in spite of the absence of Darius Garland, who's nursing an eye injury at this time, has managed to score at least 30 points or more in five out of his first six games, is the man known to many as Spider posted 38 points and shot 12 for 20 from the floor to help the Cavs knock off the New York Knicks in their most recent affair in a 13-point victory, including another majestic performance and argued his finest of the year to date against the Celtics out in Beantown this past week. Mitchell linked up with Karis LeVert, who started in the backcourt beside him, to score 41 points apiece and help the Cavs overcome a 15-point deficit in TD Garden to knock off the reigning Eastern Conference champions in overtime. It's, and, you know, we spoke about LeVert. LeVert scored the last 11 points on OT to help the Cavs seal the deal. While, on the other hand, not too far away from the Milwaukee Bucks are doing their thing, too, and they are from blood. They remain the lone unbeaten team in the NBA, led behind the stellar player of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who linked up with Drew Holiday this weekend in a 2021 Eastern Conference Finals rematch to score 34 points apiece and help the Bucks knock off the Atlanta Hawks by eight points and a marquee showdown. These two teams, man, we're not going to get a chance to see them play against one another until Wednesday, November the 16th at the Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee. From what you have seen thus far in the limited action, this is still a young and early season thus far. What's impressed you the most with these two teams to start the year? I think you have to go with Cleveland. I mean, obviously, we know Cleveland was on the rise, and they had young core that was very that's very talented, and you know, still had some growing pains to deal with. But they're right, they're like right there, and really making things competitive that much competitive in the East. But then you bring in superstar Spider, who not only came he came not only came this year. You know, look for with a new change and a new with a new location, but with a chip on the shoulder, and he's showing the world right now that it don't matter who on the court with me, I can get the job done, and that is something that we saw at times in Utah, but not to the full extent. And now, now that we now that he's in a place where without Darius Garland, 
he's stepping up and put and, and putting on that leadership role and just taking this team to a whole nother level. He's the missing piece that the Cavs needed to where if you're talking about this team constructed right now, that's the team that beats Brooklyn and doesn't even give Brooklyn a chance to go into the playoffs last year. That's and that that makeup of what Cleveland has right now is special, man. And that is hard to dismiss what Donovan Mitchell is doing in a new in a, on a new team um, with new new staff. You know, he's juggling very well with Darius Garland, even though they only played a couple, you know, one or two games together. It seems like that backcourt is going to be very smooth. And I think what, an, another thing, too, with Cleveland is they have the depth to match up with any team. When you talk about big men, when you talk about, you know, reinforcing from the guard perspective, you got Karis LeVert coming off the bench. You have Kevin Love coming off the bench. You know, and those are just a few, uh, just a couple of the big names that they do have, along with a very young big time lineup between Jared Allen and Evan Mosley. So Milwaukee is going to have, a, is, 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 that's going to be one, that's probably going to be their biggest threat right there is the Cavs for the Bucks In the just central because, division? Yes. You, you're saying, because I want to, I want to make that clear. And I know divisions in basketball don't hold the level of significance as they, you know, they do with Major League Baseball and, and you know, the NFL. But you, you, you saying right here, right now, that the Cavs are the biggest threat to Milwaukee in the Central Division, where you do have a bull squad that's going to seek to give them a tough challenge for the second year in a row, as well as an up-and-coming Piston squad. You believe that? Yes, sir. Um, and the only reason why I really do have faith right now that that's going to be in the case is the fact that Cleveland has so ha, Cleveland has the length to deal with a Giannis. They have the legs to deal with a Giannis. They have the depth to deal with a Giannis. And and, and, and not just comparison with Giannis per se, even from a guard perspective, they have guard play that can somewhat size up with Milwaukee's guards. Yes, Milwaukee has Drew Holiday. Yes, they had Chris Middleton, but you also have the superstar power a lot next to next to uh, Donovan Mitchell and Karis LeVert. You got Okoro on the other wing. Now you got guys that can combat offense for defense in a, in, a, in a matchup perspective and keep things really tight and close if there was a square off in the series. So I, I, when you think about just in a regular season, yeah, the Bulls gonna give the Bucks some trouble. Pistons may even give the Bucks some trouble. The Central Division is not just a throwaway division. No, Everyone's it's not. good in that league. Everybody's good in that league. But we're talking about series for series, seven games in playoffs. Cavs have the mo- right now the most depth and the firepower to hang with the Milwaukee Bucks in such a way to where they can challenge them. Bulls right now don't have all that they need, the reinforcements needed to actually challenge Milwaukee in the way they need to challenge them. Obviously, and the Pistons are still young. They'll make games competitive, but they won't. But they're not going like, to necessarily be the team that, that can, you know, knock the Bucks off the top of that mountain. Chasm is that team right now that's nipping at those heels, letting it be known like you don't start moving, I'm going to bite you. And I, I'm glad we're having this discussion because you know, since the second tenor of the LeBron James era in Cleveland. Milwaukee has pretty much dominated the Central Division. They've been a class of it. You know, they've won the last four consecutive years. They've won at least 55 games or more twice within that time span. And 
they earned the top seed in the East overall twice within their time span as well, including one run that culminated in the championship in 2021. But what's impressed me the most with both of these squads, because I, you know, this is a Cavs and Bucks segment. What, what, what's impressed me the most is with Cleveland, even though they are built like an old school team, when you got Allen and Mobley as your four or five tandem, they don't play like these most of these other bigs. Even though Mobley can stretch the floor and shoot the three point shot, like he can back you down inside too. Jerry Allen is a pick and roll nightmare and an elite defensive player. A guy that could easily be in the running for defensive player of the year award. They, but they still find a way to get the job done. And Donovan Mitchell, man, I, I watched that Cavs and Celtics game the other night. And as I said last week on episode two, open run, that was going to be one of my main games to watch uh, last Friday. He getting it done on all three levels of the court, man. How you want your buckets, he giving them to you. Mid-range, check. Three-point range, check. Getting to the cup, check. Like He put a move on Marcus Smart at the top of the key and went up for a, a two-handed jam in Boston, man. Like, his side is the crowd. And I was very impressed with their performance as a group because even though they had built the early lead, they were down at one point by as many as, like, 15 to 18 points. And they still were able to come back, man. That, that's a huge win. And if they could get those type of performances out of Karis LeVert consistently, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be scary hours in Cleveland. It's going to be real scary hours. I understand he followed up his 41-point out with a, with a one-point dub, but even though he scored only one point, they got other guys and complimentary pieces that we're not even highlighting, and I'm going to show some love to, like Dean Wade who's been in the starting lineup for them, solid defensive guy on the wing, can shoot the three ball. He hit like six triples against New York on, on Sunday. Donovan has been lights out, especially operating in a pick and roll. And one thing about Donovan, man, that makes him so fun to watch, you cannot speed him up and you cannot slow him down. Once he, once he finds a way to get going to that hole, good luck. Man, you you gotta put you gotta put a, a wall up on him when he when he attacked. But like he's a guy that you can't like. He's just real smooth and subtle, man. And he's very patient when it comes to getting to his spots. And he looks like a true veteran on the floor, who each and every year is continually, continually growing. I mean, like he averaging over thirty a night. Yeah, it's 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 definitely scary. But I'm telling you, there's one person that's gonna be knocking on that door. Brown gonna be like, hey, AD can't play for a full for a full year. Russ is driving me nuts around over there in LA. Y'all got an extra spot for me to come home. I'm bring Brownie with me. I'll bring Brownie <laughs> with me. We'll win a trip together. Come on. Let me, let me come back home real quick. Cause I do know one thing. With those rumors going on during All-Star Weekend last year about how he's open to potentially coming back home if it means Brownie gets to play. I didn't think he, I know he didn't think the Cats are gonna be this good like they are right now. He's itching. I, I I would not be surprised. He itching in the back of his mind, like, hey. <laughs> if he didn't sign that extension early in the middle of this summer, rather, I, I I would take you up on that offer. But I will say this: just watching a lot of their games on League Pass, man. 
he, he would fit with them very well. Very well. He would fit in very well with this team. And this team is currently constructed, has an incredible back line that he did not have when he was there with Kevin Love and Kyrie. Because as we know, that final year in Cleveland, that defense was not the same compared to what it was when they got the championship two years prior. So, man, like, he, he would fit. And then Kevin Love has really embraced his role as the sixth yeah. man. Albeit, you know, he one could say that he's overpaid to be in that seat. He's playing his behind off, man. Like we saw in, in the Bulls home opener against Cleveland, man, picking Pop King. Wasn't missing. I think he was like five or five from three. Didn't miss at all on the night. You know, when, when they shooting like that, they're they gonna be tough to beat. And they're one of only two teams right now in the association to be in the top 10 in both offensive rating and defensive rating. I think Phoenix is the other. So yeah, Cleveland's one of them teams, man. They they on the rise. And, and Milwaukee, I got to give Milwaukee some credit too. You know, coming back off of a off of a conference semifinal round exit, suffered at the hands of the Celtics. The way that they're playing defensively right now, they're not giving up as many threes as they once used to. And I think that's been a big part of Bud's strategy. Instead of funneling teams inside the paint and forcing them to kick it out, you know, to the three-point line, like they dare teams to beat you, or they, or they dare teams to beat them, rather, from behind the heart. And Grant Williams did that big time in, in the playoffs last year, but now they're not allowing it. And Giannis, can't nobody stop that dude from getting to the rim. Drew Holiday got it going on in the mid-range. Javon Carter, you know, Maywood's finest, has really stepped up in, in, a, in a point guard role. For, for this Buck squad, he'll be moving to the bench once Chris Middleton comes back. What's, what's your thoughts on Milwaukee? Start the year, man. Knocked off Atlanta in a, in a big time game. Giannis is averaging 34 points, yep. 14 rebounds, six assists, shooting 60% from the field, and 35% from three. <laughs> the hell like like you cannot stop that that is pure dominance that will always be the x factor of why the milwaukee bucks are undefeated right now it's best dominance on all levels of the floor and it helps that you do have complimentary pieces like a drew holiday like a chris middleton that can help get you over the hump but what you see now is what happens when you actually experience the mountaintop. Now that they went to the mountaintop, now that they've seen that what that trophy was it's like to have that trophy and to get that ring, yeah, they have a little turbulence along the way and on trying to get back to that uh get back to that title round. But they learning from that. And you can tell by the way that they're playing, okay, now we're serious now. We're not getting bounced out in the second round of a playoff series ever again. We're trying to go at least minimum Eastern Conference Finals. And Giannis is setting the standard. And that's what it looks like when you try to win every year. And, like, the way that Giannis is, Giannis is performing, man, it's special to see. Milwaukee, you know, we talk about Cleveland, how it can be scary hours in Cleveland. It can be scary hours in Milwaukee, too, if you don't find no way to slow them, slow, uh, slow Giannis down. Because it's going to be a long night for you to guard him. Yeah, I, I know it's only a couple weeks away from now, but that's going to be a huge game when Cleveland and Milwaukee links up at the Pfizer on November 16th. That's definitely a game that fans 
and followers of our show want to keep an eye on is that could have big time implications out in the Eastern Conference. But I want to push the show along, man. You know, we're going to play a special game this week. Is we recording this on Halloween, you know, night. We're going to call it NBA Trick or Treat. I'm going to start off talking about the Portland Trailblazers. Some of these teams that we're, we're talking about in this Trick or Treat segment are teams that have really shocked us, teams that we didn't think would be at the top of the standings or among the top in, in their respective conferences, but here they are. Like I said, the Blazers led by second-year head coach Chauncey Phillips. I believe that they have won four out of their first, like, six games, and they currently sit among the top five in the West, got a top-10 defense. We've known Portland's defenses to be atrocious over the last couple of years, man. They beat Phoenix in one of their early games, even though Damian Lillard is out for the next week or so due to a right calf strain that he suffered against the Miami Heat this past week. Are the Blazers tricking us, man, or are they treating us to something special? You know, they treat me real nice for the nice filet mignon on the plate, brother, because <laughs> way that D. Lillard is coming out with a vengeance. Dame said it's, the, it's, the, it's Dame Dollar time. I'm fully healthy. Well, he, we came into the season fully healthy for the first time in, this, in some years. And he is showing what he's showing what Dame Dame Dollar really is when he's fully healthy, man. Averaging 31 points, and he's thriving with the younger sidekick and Anthony Simmons. And I don't know about you, but the way Shaden Sharp is playing right now, if he continues to emerge along with the Nasir Littles of the team, along with the, what we know with the Jeremy Grant of the team can bring to the table. Them boys are dangerous, and they, they may not be a top-five team, per se, in the Western Conference, but you don't want to play them in no playing tournament. All you, you give Dame Dollar one game, it's a wrap. So I'm telling you right now, yeah, they, they, you know, they, they, they may not have gave me the super big porterhouse 25-bounce T-bone steak. They may not have given me that, but they're giving me a nice sirloin. They gave me a nice, moist 10-12-ounce sirloin that's, that, 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 that's, so, that's enticing for me to eat as I'm watching them go through the through, or blazing through the beginning part of this season. Yeah, and yeah, let me correct myself there. The Blazers are actually five and one, not four and two, five and one to start the season. And as I currently see right now, they entered with a half a game lead over the Suns for the top spot in the Western Conference as of Sunday, October 30th a day prior to us recording the show. So they're a team to definitely watch. Do I think they're tricking or treating us? I'm going to say right now, I think they kind of tricking us. Even though Anthony Simons has had a hell of a start to the year, he's shooting the hell out the basketball, shooting over 35% from three, posting career-high numbers, and he seems on the verge of putting together a career year. I really want to see if this defense is truly for real, man. I, I, I got to see it because there have been too many times where Portland's defense over the last several years just ain't been it. And even though it is a new era and they do have some pieces that I think fit Dane's game well, such as Jeremy Grant being that 3 and D wing that was missing, 
I think some of those pieces may have came too late. And I think Portland at some point in time is going to have to assess and evaluate the future. I'm impressed with the start that they've had to the year thus far. But as of right now, I'm going to say that they tricked it. I still believe in Dame Dollar. And I do believe if they are playing a team like Josh said, no one is going to want to see them. Because in those type of games, when it go home situations, I mean, we saw it in the bubble, what he did when Portland earned their player in spot in the bubble to, to face the Lakers in round one, even though they got knocked out by a game. Like, we, we know what he can do on that stage. But, you know, Nurkic, I still got some questions about defensively. It, it, it comes down to defense with them for me. Offensively, I, I think they'll be fine, even with game being out over the next week or so. I think they'll be in games, but... I gotta, I gotta see it. I just gotta see it more. I gotta see it. So right now, I'm gonna say that they tricked me. It's cool, man. Chauncey, boop, 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 boop. Phillips is gonna bring them on. They're gonna, he gonna bring them through. It's all good. Well, well, I, I hope so because if he does, you know that that would be a major bounce back after you know a disappointing year one. But a lot of that, you know, was you you could you could say was scheme, but then some of it was due to personnel and not having a proper personnel around them, you know, to be successful. But I want to move on to another team that shocked a lot of people, a team that we all thought would be maybe in the same situation as the Nets and the Lakers are right now, and that's the San Antonio Spurs, man. They 5-2 and two through their first seven games of the year, led behind Hall of Fame or future Hall of Fame coach, rather, Greg Popovich. The start that most people didn't expect, they went to Philly, knocked off the Sixers, went to Minnesota, knocked off the Timberwolves, knocked them off again recently at home. Yako Poto's having a big year, putting up double-double numbers. Keldon Johnson is putting up big-time numbers, averaging a career best of points per game, shooting the lights out from three. Doug McDermott is even having a resurgence in the Alamo land. You know, this team does shock a lot of people, man. You think they tricking us or are they going to be treating us to a great 2022-23 campaign? I'm going to give I'm going to respond in this way. They're treating us to the they're treating us to Cabo next uh, next year. That's what they're treating us to. They're treating us to Cabo. Because <laughs> uh, in the words of Greg Popovich, how dare you sit here and say in the beginning of the season that we're a championship team? They ain't going nowhere. They're trying to get Victor. They're trying to go to France. Ain't nobody got time for this. So, I will, but, but, but to your point, yes, they shot the heck out of the NBA world. And behind, and Kelvin Johnson has shown that this is my team. I have arrived. Big shout out to him. Even in the way that they played the Bulls recently, that they they came out blazing and really sent a message to that team, to you know, to the league regarding that game. But the Spurs are preparing for the future, and the future. You know, they're saying, Keldon Johnson's the future. <laughs> See, play them well. Go to the lottery and get the best pick for me. Like, that's them. <laughs> they're going to go get Victor. All right? And they're going to do everything they can to make sure that happens. Even if that does mean not, you know, you know, putting themselves in a situation where they ain't got to win too many games. You know, they don't want to completely blow themselves out the bubble. So, they they, they, they treating us. Just not, just not. With no candy or no real positive stuff. They just treat it as a trip to Cabo by the time the season ends. So basically you saying what I'm saying. 
they trick they tricking us they tricking us in the grand scheme because I'm gonna tell you they knocking down three point shots with the best of them. that defense isn't what Pop's defenses used to be in the Tim Duncan era. But with the way they currently shooting the basketball, they treating us to some stellar performances right now. But I, I agree long term. Yeah, man, I, I, I think I, I think the teardown is coming soon. If they do get out of hand, R.C. Buford and them definitely making some moves because, um, you know, they don't they don't impact the core, of course. But I, I've been impressed with what I've seen thus far, man. Like they they shooting the hell out the basketball and Keldon Johnson especially is doing yeah. it. And Yakupoto is looking like a, a guy that might be in the the conversation to lead the league and rebound, man. You know he he's making a, a big time impact on the glass and actually finding a way to come into his own after a lot of people within the Raptors front office were so high on him prior to dealing him away in the Kawhi Leonard deal from a few years back. But man. Yeah, I, I I think I think San Antonio tricking us, man. They definitely trying to give Victor and Benyama to you know, they would be it would be in their best consideration to do it. If you think about the foundation of the Spurs over the last 30 years, it was always predicated on the bigs. Mm-hmm. David Robinson, Tim Duncan. Don't, 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 don't try and get to those playoffs. <laughs> try and get try and try and get your try and get your guy, San Antonio. Try and get your guy. I mean, you you gave up DeJounte Murray to the Atlanta Hawks for little to nothing. It had to be a reason for that. It had to be a reason. And I think sooner rather than later, we're gonna find out why. <laughs> All right, moving away from the Spurs, want to talk about the next team in our NBA trick-or-treat segment, the Atlanta Hawks. I even though this was a team that came in with the expectations on building off of their previous success, they have overachieved a great deal, at least to me, through the first six games of the year. They're four and two, led behind the stellar play of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. Hawks only are a game and a half out of the top seed in the East right now. Trey Young is averaging a career best 31 and a half points per game, while DeJounte Murray is putting up 20 points and nearly seven assists per night, shooting over 35% from three-point land. Atlanta currently ranks among the top 10 in offensive rating, sitting ninth overall. I got to ask you, Josh, you know, even though this was a team that got knocked out in round one against the Miami Heat last year, and even though, you know, they shocked a lot of people in the season that was short due to the COVID-19 pandemic in 2021, getting all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals as a fifth seed, getting to within two wins of the NBA Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks, losing that series in six games. Is this team tricking us with their hot start early? Or do you believe that they're treating us to a great campaign in year one of the Trey Young and DeJounte Murray regime. Uh, they tricking. They tricking. And I say they tricking. I say they tricking. Because just like you say down the line, uh, when we talked about the uh I think we, I think it was the Nets. I think I think it was the Nets. When you said, I just gotta see more down the line. I'm like that with Atlanta. <laughs> I gotta see more down the line. Cause the X factor for me that's going to really get the Atlanta Hawks over the hump 
DeAndre Hunter. And I need to see how he plays down the stretch now that he's healthy. I need to see how he comes out and performs down the stretch for this team as we play as we go through this season. If he plays at the way that he that we know he can be, I'm not no problem. They can keep they can keep tricking me with all the candy they want. They can start trading me some real food. But until then, I gotta see more. I just got I just gotta see more. I gotta see more myself, but I'm gonna go on a limb and I believe that they actually gonna treat us this year. And I, I agree, DeAndre Hunter is the biggest X factor on this Hawk squad. If he can find a way to stay healthy and be that two-way player on the wing that we know he's capable of being, the Atlanta Hawks might have a third star and their star that they desperately need on the wing to make that rise up and ascend in the Eastern Conference. I was shocked that they have started off as hot as they have. Even though, you know, they, they won a couple of gimme games, games that they should have won, I would say, against the Pistons. They showed me something against Milwaukee the other night. I saw Trey Young not settling for as many shots late in the game as he has in the past. You know, like he was taking some mid-range shots. I wonder if that's the DeJounte Murray influence. I do. Because DeJounte, he's not afraid to do that, even though he can, you know, shoot the three ball at an exceptionally high clip. But, yeah, DeAndre Hunter is going to be a key piece for this group, as well as Clint Capella. But I, I think they for real, man. I, I really do. I, I think as long as DeAndre Hunter stays healthy, he'll continuously build off of what he showcased in the playoffs. Because he had a couple games against my, Miami in the playoffs, man, that made me wonder, like, man, if he ever just stay healthy, what could they get? Because I think they got a bargain with him on that extension. So I, I, I'm looking forward to what Atlanta does and to see how they progress. But I, I think they for real. I don't know if they top three for real, but I wouldn't be shocked if they in that top five come the end of the season, man. Because the one thing I do like that Nate McMillan is doing, he's staggering both Trey and DeJounte. He keeping at least one of them on the floor at all times. And I think that's going to help alleviate Trey as the season goes on, something that he did not have last year because he had to carry so much of a significant offensive load being that primary playmaker. Yeah, I mean, I, I all great points that you made. I just know that, like you said, as long as DeAndre Hunter does his thing, I think the Hawks will be fine. But I also know that, you know, Lou, Lou Williams needs to continue to do his thing with his wings at Blue at Magic City. So when I come down there to see those Atlanta Hawks, I can go give myself some 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 wings. Okay, so I know I so I need that I need that to continue, which I've heard is doing phenomenal down there in Atlanta in the ATL. So you know maybe I can kill two birds with one stone, and hopefully they hopefully they can while the Hawks are treating me, Lou Will and Lemon Pepper wings at Magic City can do the same thing for me as well. I don't mind getting two meals. <laughs> hey, I heard that one, man. But I want to highlight a team, man, that's a rival to the Hawks, a, a team that we just discussed that took out the Hawks last year, the playoffs, the Miami Heat. They're off to a two and five start. This was last year's runner-up in the Eastern Conference. Should we should we be pressing the panic button 
right now on the Heat, you know, you got you got Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce out here saying they done. You done as Haslam on Instagram saying, hey, hold all that. Last time I checked, I remember when we knocked you guys out and ended, you know, y'all reign the top of the East. What, what, what you think about this current Heat squad, man? I, I think they're missing some pieces. I think they're missing P.J. Tucker dearly. And I think that's playing a big role, too. But do you think this start is tricking us? Or do you think we're in for a treat and that they'll find a way to rectify everything in time? I would say they was trick. I would say they would be tricking us if Jimmy Butler kept his dreads. But since he took <laughs> his dreads off, you know, I would, I'll, I'll say I'll go on and say they, they're, they're treating. Because let's be serious. This is the Miami Heat we're talking about. This is a team that if they ain't get it right in the beginning, they're gonna show find out in the middle of the season, going to the end of the season. They'll make the playoffs every time. And they're always a component that everyone fears to play against because of the fact of that Jimmy Butler effect, along with the shooting of Don of Duncan Robinson and the new uh and the new uh, Slim Shady out there on the court and, and Tyler Hero. And on top of all of that, let's be serious, this is Eric Spolstra. He, he is he is the coach to fear in the Eastern Conference as well as the NBA in general. So I I, I believe with the with the structure that everything they have over there, UD ain't gonna let them go like that. You know the OG ain't gonna let them go out like that. They gonna be fine. They're just they're just going through a little bit of a turbulence right now on their path to on their path to uh to the NBA to a potential NBA Finals run. But yeah, they'll they'll be okay. They're they're gonna they're gonna treat us right. D Wade's restaurant down in Miami Beach is going. They're gonna treat us right over there real soon. You know I I believe in Lasposa and Nostra too. I, I believe in them. I, I I had to bring them up because we talk about teams that could be either you know deceiving us or teams that could actually be legit. I don't want to throw throw away the key on Miami just yet. I I don't. But I will say this. If it continues with the way their books look, moves will have to be made either this winter at the trade deadline or in the offseason because it's a lot of big money going to guys. And if they don't, you know, live up to the bill, it could be some trouble on the horizon and guys being departed up out of there. But speaking of Dwayne Wade, I want to talk about a team that he holds ownership interest in, a team that actually inspired this NBA trick-or-treat segment. This was a team that nobody saw coming, getting off to a high start. That would be the Utah Jazz, 5-2, and two, under first-year head coach Will Hardy. This summer man, we all know, they gave up Donovan Mitchell, shipped him out to Cleveland, Rudy Gobert, to Minnesota, Boyan Bogdanovich to Detroit prior to the start of training camp. In exchange for draft picks to create a new core out of Salt Lake City. Now, they looking like something special. Lori Marketing falling out of control, putting up big time career numbers. 21.4 points per game. Looking like an all-star when I had. Jordan Clarkson, Kelly Olenek has even been playing rather well. Former Miami Heat player himself. Is this team tricking us or are they treating us? I, I want to start it off by saying if they are treating us, they treating us to something great no matter what. But 
I, I, I think if, if Danny Ainge don't break these guys up or, 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 or make some moves, this might be a 2019-2020 um, a Oklahoma City Thunder situation. Like where they had Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. I look at this team. I want to believe in this team sort of. They play defense. And they looking like Rudy. Like even though Rudy ain't out there, they looking like they're not missing him one bit. Walker Kessler has provided some excellent defense off the bench. I I, I really like this team, man. They, they fun to watch. They got Colin Sexton as part of their Donovan Mitchell trade, as well as Laurie Marketing, who, as we mentioned, former Chicago Bull. He he's he's playing his behind off, man. Is this team tricking us? Or are they treating us? Because this was a team that we all thought was hey, you either gonna be number one overall pick in the lottery for Victor Wimbayama, or you getting school Henderson. I, if one, there's one thing that Salt Lake City has taught me so well, and that is to never eat pizza from their from from anywhere in that city because you will get food poisoned. I know why you brought that up. <laughs> yes. So with that being said, as much as this pizza looks so good with you in Utah right now, I'm not gonna eat it because at the end of the day. We know what Utah really wants. They want that top pick. They want to get Victor. And Danny Ainge knows it, which is why he's telling people, I'm going to let these guys play so I can get their value up. But, uh, Mike, you can go. Um, you know, you got some other uh, – Jordan Clarkson, you can go. For sure. Uh, they, he's, he's looking he, – he he's playing the smooth right now. He's letting them get their, get their, their trade value up. He letting them ball a little bit, give him a little confidence. So that way, when it's time, you know, Danny Ainge will be is a slick dude that will pull the trigger. And he is, and that is someone that I think down the line, like I said, maybe around trade deadline, he may be like, oh, thank you for your service, but we got bigger, we have bigger fish to fry. Literally, seven, three, seven, four. <laughs> we got that, we got that big of a fish to fry and get him Victor or potentially Scoot Henderson. So I think he's playing the long haul, but enjoying this brief little moment right now. Because he knows it's filling up the seats. It's getting more money in his pocket. And at the end of the day, he just needs enough just to get by until he hits that trade deadline and mission abort. Boom. Gone. And then that's all you need. That's all you need. That, I, 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 so I'm not, I'm not going to indulge in this pizza that looks supposedly so good because it might poison you. Man, I, I, the, the, the pizza might poison me. It might have poisoned Michael Jordan back in 1997, but this, is very tempting, man. And the reason why I say that is because they hanging around with playoff teams. They just recently beat the Grizzlies. And even though John Morant was out of that game due to a non-COVID-related illness, man, they they competing. Like, this team real fun to watch, man. Like, Laurie Marketing is looking super confident. He's getting to it inside, outside. Colin Sexton who I wish they kind of involved more in their rotation coming off the bench. It's been fairly solid in the minutes he's been provided thus far. And I think he will get more minutes once they get some of those pieces out. But I'm going to tell you, Danny Ainge better do it rather quickly because Will Hardy got these guys playing, man, like straight up. Like they beat the Pelicans. They beat the Nuggets in the season open. And I didn't even give them a chance. But this gets to a point where, like, 
Utah on the nightly watch list. They really are because, like, the, the thing that kills me with these teams, man, like Utah, like in these small markets, and I bought up Oklahoma City Thunder because I could see a potential 2019-2020 Thunder squad in this group a little bit. The reason why I bring those teams up is because those teams draft so well that even when they try to tank due to the talent that they have, in the culture that they built there, they don't even know how to do it well. Like they have to sit guys out in order to do it, but just trade them right away. In Utah, one of the places, even though I do believe in the end they will have a top three pick, if they don't get Jordan Clarkson and Kelly Olynyk out of town while they value high, man, look, they could be looking up by Christmas. If be with it the thick of the Western Conference playoff race, like I saw a, a picture on Twitter where Danny Ainge was sitting courtside and was looking at Will Hardy, and he had, like, big eyes like this. And I see why. Because the plan ain't going according to plan. Right. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's definitely interesting to see what they're going to do down there. But, yeah, they're going to start getting some moves. They're going to start moving around because uh, Victor ain't coming over, if y'all don't so start doing bad. Victor ain't coming over, neither is Scooty. Yeah. I want to move away from the trick-or-treat segment, though. That was a fun game that we had. But I want, I want to move away from that to discuss a Chicago native and a former All-Star who recently stepped on Math Hoffer podcast to reflect upon the early days of his NBA career. Despite not wearing a Bulls jersey in over six years, current New York Knicks point guard Derrick Rose will forever be attached to it by the majority of his fans in the Windy City is the man who just turned 34 years old a few weeks ago and became the youngest player to ever win the NBA MVP award in 2011, sat down with the battle rapper himself to share his thoughts and discuss his final days in Chicago, which he believed came to an end as a result of a meeting with the Bulls front office personnel, in addition to figures within the media in Chicago who began to viciously attack him the three-time All-Star said that he could feel the turn from how he was also perceived by fans prior to being dealt away to the New York Knicks back in the summer of 2016. I want to ask you, Josh, you know, we, we got a chance to see the clip for ourselves prior to recording. What were your thoughts on it? Anytime D-Rose comes on a platform and talks anything regarding sports and life, you have to listen because he barely does it. So, that's for him to for him to be on that platform and to talk about what he was going through. That is something that you cannot take lightly. That being said, I have had the pleasure of being around certain circles this weekend when this news broke out, especially when it comes to certain media. And let me tell you, what D Rose is saying, I've heard it is true. And I actually know the specific person or persons that will not that will be named nameless. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that up too. That, that will that will contribute to that have contributed to that. And it is very interesting uh, to hear people that actually witness what D Rose was talking about as far as his relationship was so severed with media that he didn't even look at them. He didn't respect them. And that is honestly a lost conversation when it comes to media and sports figures. Because 
the reality is Derrick Rose hit, hit, hit a part where as journalists, as people that are covering sports and teams and players, the biggest component for you getting your news is that the relationships you, you, the relationships you build throughout that time you're covering that sport or that team. If you can't have a conversation with the art, with the best player on the team and best player in the world, that's a problem for your industry, for your job, right? So when D Rose was saying people were coming at him sideways in such a way that he had, to, he didn't, that he knew he, they had a job to do, but he didn't respect them doing their job. To me, that shows me that this, those people, those type of people have no idea what it's like to, no, no, no idea what it's like to actually interact with an athlete, period. Because if you actually build relationships with athletes, you will know different ways of how to reach them with, and be respectful in covering the game the way that they, way that you, way you can cover it. Um, and knowing from my experience of dealing with that and knowing what that is like, and in some cases, seeing that up front, it's very, it's, it's, it's just a huge divide between journalists that actually have relationships with players, want to care about the players, know the players personally, and building that rapport versus someone that's just there to do their job. You can do both. And when you're covering superstars like that, in a lot of ways, you need both. Because you by you building a rapport with a player, it ain't got to be the best rapport. But as long as a respectful rapport, that's gonna be the difference of the news you're gonna get and be able to and, and be able to and the interviews you're able to have with that person versus someone who really doesn't care. They just want to get the best scoop. It's completely different. And I hate that Derrick Rose had to deal with that in his home city, where he came from, wanted to stay, was and was literally the main reason why the Bulls were even relevant. And you take that. And you drive him in a lot of ways out of Chicago because you're searching for clicks instead of actually getting to know the person you're talking and dealing with. So that, that's really the biggest thing that stood out to me was the fact that, yeah, he, he, he came for some people in that full thing, which I understand. But it also just highlights the true fundamentals of journalism, period, and the importance of what it means to build rapport with your sources so that way you can effectively per perform truthful, fair, honest journalism without derailing whatever relationships you have that come along the way. And that's something that is a lost conversation in a lot of ways necessary in today's, uh, in today's era of media. You know, Anytime I talk on Derrick Rose, I, I have to really let it be known to people that this man lived out a lot of people's dream in the city of Chicago. It's not a single child that loves basketball that does not think about playing for the Bulls. He did that. And he got drafted number one overall and wore the number one. Kind of like Benny the Bull, but he was actually starring on the court with it. You know, and you, you had to respect that. But with 
the adoration that Derrick Rose had from the moment we got to know him in Chicago and starring in Simeon, going off to Memphis, leading John Calipari's program at the time to a national championship and to getting selected number one overall by the Bulls and within three years capturing an MVP award. With all of that came envy. And I think when the injuries mounted up during the year of the lockout in the season that was shortened due to the lockout to 66 games, and he tore his ACL in game one of the playoffs that he in round one against the Philadelphia 76ers, I think what we started to see was people's true colors coming out. Um, in my opinion, Derrick Rose was the one figure that always showed in Chicago sports why representation was needed within Chicago sports media. Yep. I know exactly who he's talking about. And they are two people. And out of respect for what you do being, you know, on the soil at the United Center, as well as some of my fellow colleagues do and being in those spaces, I won't even give them the time of day to announce their names as well as you did. I, I, I don't I, I don't need to. Just go and look up, you know, the pieces where they were saying Derrick Rose is dumb. Just go and look up the pieces within the Chicago Sun-Times where a specific writer was seeking to jab and throw shots at him every single time he either did not suit up due to injury or made comments in regards to saying, hey, I'm concerned as to whether or not I'm going to be able to walk in my child's graduation. Yeah. Real life concerns. Real life concerns, even though he was a professional basketball player that was getting paid millions of dollars, millions of dollars that he earned, millions of dollars that, you know, he'd been working, he had been working towards from the moment he was like a fifth or sixth grader at Beasley Academy. You know, we, we, it's some people who actually know Derek Martell Rose in this city. And it's some people who think they know him, but they don't know him. Right. And even though they know him, you don't necessarily have to be within a close, you know, confidential circle of his to really know him. Like Derrick Rose represented a lot of us here, but it was a certain segment of Chicago's sports fan population that really did not know Derrick Rose. And like I said, he he just he he showed how divided the city was. And my thoughts was, hey, he's accurate. He's very accurate. You know, and I can understand how that got to him. And like, you know, he was talking about feeling the energy in the arena when he was playing yeah. here in his last day. I felt that energy too. You know, I was it, I was it his um the first game that he scored 30 plus points coming off of the the torn meniscus back in December of 2014 against the Portland Trailblazers. I was at that game. And yeah, fans were cheering him on, but early on, like leading up to the game, didn't nobody expect that. People was like, oh, you know, one minute he wanna play, next minute he don't. They never sought to really, they never sought to know Derrick Rose as a person. They didn't. And, you know, and, and realized that just like all athletes in the NBA universe and in professional sports in general, that they're human. Yep. And I, I, I felt it too. 
And it, and it's something I get very emotional talking about because a lot of people don't get it. They really don't get it. And even though Derrick Rose has had documentaries told on his career, you know, to date, and even though his career is still going on, I really don't think some of us truly know the full story. And it's sad because if you don't, then you just weren't paying attention. Right. You know, you just weren't paying attention. And, and I, I think he he had a lot of envy. And the, the two figures that he, he's talking about, I, I understand why he's talking about them. And I do believe that once he started to assert himself as a man beside his brothers, you know, Reggie, Dwayne, and Allen, yeah, I could see how the front office took that, you know, because Reggie was the one that was always handling the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, it, it, it was. I was glad to see Derrick Rose speak up for himself in a way that he hasn't done before. And um, the fact that he's now comfortable to a point where he can admit really truly what went on behind the scenes from the player perspective, as you already know, there's two sides, there's, there's two you know, two sides of every story, both two ends of the street, two ends of the street. He's, you know, we've always heard the personnel, Bulls front office version, but now we got to see D. Rose's side of things. And as someone that has been in locker rooms, as someone that has played the sport, as some, and, and things of that sort on a, on a certain elite, le- on a certain athletic and elite level, I know exactly what he's talking about. I know what he's like for people to, you know, interview you, and at times, misconstrue what you say. Yep. Like, I know what it's like to, you know, even interview athletes and have to let them know ahead of time, hey, bro, I'm just I'm here to do my job, nothing against you. I just want to let you know why I'm here. Because they automatically think in their mind, oh, no, I can't talk to him. He's going to exploit me. Yep. It's, it's, it's things like that where people, especially brothers like us, real talk, real talk, they don't understand that. A lot of people won't understand that. And it's hard to understand that when you're not one of us in a locker room that actually can relate to a locker room that's pretty much 75, 80% black. That's just the reality. And when you, and you, and you harping on the idea and notion of the lack of representation within media, that plays a role in a lot of this, a lot of those narratives. So for him to set the record straight and for him to be comfortable in doing that and vulnerable doing that, because you could tell he's still hurt by all this. You can tell the emotion is still there where he's like, he's moved on, but it's still, a, it's a nice scar that's there. He's healed, but the scar is still there. And for him to be that open about and vulnerable about everything, that was, and that was, that was, um, that was very exciting and enticing for me. And at the same time, remindful of the fact that KYP, know who you're dealing with. You're dealing with an athlete, a superstar athlete that's from home. I mean, I know he was probably going to deal with that type of, you know, the excruciating, uh, you know, negative connotation that media can be can bring. But there's certain levels and certain levels of things that you just can't, you just, there's just rules you just don't do. And, you know, in media, and that's unfortunately how it went for him and how he dealt with those things. I'm just glad he put it out in the air and, and I can relate and understand truly what he's talking about. And obviously we support him. You know, we want nothing but the best from him. We're glad to see him doing what he's doing in the league to come back from all of those injuries to still be dominating and playing at this game at this level is great. But, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad he put it on the table and let it be known like what the real, what it really is out here. 
I am too. And I think that shows maturity and growth. And, and I think that scar, unfortunately, is always going to be there because it didn't have to end that way. You know, and it's one thing to criticize a guy's in-game decision-making, you know, what they're doing on the floor. But when you start throwing personal dabs, you know, insulting a person's intelligence, not really getting to know that person, understanding where they're coming from and who they truly are, then you you know it it, it the lines get crossed. Mm-hmm. I think no matter what happens, even if the Bulls do decide as an organization, someday I do believe it's coming. Even if they do decide to hang the number one up in the rafters, mm-hmm. the the damage will, will never be like fully healed because it didn't have to end that way. You know he was he was a native son of the city. It, it, it you know. If they wanted to trade him, that's one thing. But I, I do believe that the, the media's portrayal of him led to it happening very much sooner rather than it had to happen. And it led to a lot of relationships being fractured, if not put on pause for the time being. But I, I'll move on from that as we get into the you know closing segments of the show. To ask you, what's one game that you got your eye on this week? You know, for me, I'm going to go with Raptors at the Mavs on Friday out in the Dallas Metroplex. I'm just going to put it out here right now, man. If you ain't been watching what Luka Doncic has been doing through the first six games of the year, then you need to pay attention if you got league pass. You need to pay attention. 30 points or more through his first six games. I think he's the first player since Michael Jordan in 1986 to do that. Um He's been the the straw that stirs the drink in Dallas's offense, and he continues to do that. He's been doing it since his rookie year. Ain't nothing changed in year five. Looking like he's only getting better with time. Yeah, man, that's the game that uh that that you highlighted. That's definitely one of the ones we're gonna see. But I'm gonna watch another game that's actually happening at the same time as the as the Raptors Dallas game. That's gonna be the Golden State Warriors versus New Orleans Pelicans. I like that. I'm going to I'm going to watch. I got to see what Steph and them boys do against this really strong core that the New Orleans Pelicans have to offer. That they can actually really hold down the weight uh, with this, you know, going against all that uh, firepower that the Warriors have. So I'm definitely going to be paying attention to that. And of course, the game the games we're watching is on a Friday night, so I don't have any plans on Saturday morning. So guess what? I'm gonna stay up a little late, and I'm going to watch the Trailblazers play against the Phoenix Suns. I got to see how my boy Dame Dollar comes up against CP3 and that Phoenix Suns uh, and that Phoenix Suns lineup. It seems like the Phoenix Suns have, you know, been finding their way and getting things done. But like we talked about earlier in the set, earlier in the show, the Blazers right now, they treated me real nice with the sirloin. So I need to make sure that that might get another sirloin steak as I watch them go against the Suns in the Valley. Hopefully Dame is cleared in time. It's looking like he's going to miss some time. But even if he is, you still got the young rook Shaden Sharp, you know, Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons. I think that still makes for an impressive matchup. So that's a game I'll have to check out myself as well because I don't have any plans on Saturday morning myself. But that, you know, concludes this edition, an open run this week. Appreciate you guys tuning in, checking us out. Make sure to check out all of our shows on the World Media platform. You can check out Bears pre- and post-game shows every Sunday. Check out Saul Rodriguez on the Ed Bat Podcast. World Series going down between the Phillies and the Astros. 
going to be interesting and exciting to see who comes out of that. Continue to check us out. We here. We ain't going nowhere. We see you guys next week. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins. My man, Josh Hicks. We out.